to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow, they have fitted their arrow to the string, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, Curtis. Curtis, do you want to grab the one? Do you want to grab the wireless mic and maybe Joel will? Psalm 11, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Psalm 11. As you're doing that, we'll go ahead and pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you speak through your prophet, Joel, that even now you declare that we are to return to you with all of our hearts, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and to to rend our hearts and not just our garments, God. We ask that you would give in us, through your word, a changed heart, God. Not just a, a change in appearance or anything like that, God, but God, that you would actually change our hearts. That you would make us know you more, love you more, serve you with great joy, no matter the cost. God, let us follow you and love you. And that can only happen through your word. And so we ask that you would work through your word for your glory. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. The game of chicken was a, a sadistic pleasure in our neighborhood with a bunch of kids out in the country with very minimal uh, parental supervision. So it could be bikes or go-karts or four-wheelers or whatever it might be. And you don't really set out. You're just kind of playing around. Then you catch someone's eye and you're like, are we good? Okay. And then you start going at each other. And so there was a couple of keys of how to be good. Number one, whatever they have, try to make sure you have something bigger. So if they have the go-kart, make sure you have the four-wheeler or something like that. So, number two, go faster than they are. However fast they go, you have to go faster. That's a little bit of bravado to put them out there. And then number three is if you can, I could never bring myself to do this, but if you can, try to make eye contact with them so that they know you're dumb enough to actually do this and, and to crush into them, right? But what about the Christians? When you're, when you're kids and you're playing and it's fun, but when you're, what about a Christian? What do you do? Sailing through life as fast as you can, and evil's coming at you as fast as it can. What do you do? How do you not give away? How do you not flinch? That's what this psalm is all about. That's why it's so beautiful. 
The main idea here that I hope you treasure and trust, not just this week, but for the rest of your life, is that we are to take refuge in the Lord. We are to take refuge in the Lord. We're going to see it in two different ways. In Psalm um, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that we have this temptation to turn away. In the narrative, it makes sense. And it's surprising where it comes from. So we have this temptation to turn away from the Lord, from the refuge that we have in the Lord. We're tempted to turn away. And then in the rest of the verse, verses 4 through 7, we have this foundation of resolve. Why can we trust the Lord? Is it something we just say or is it actually true? Can we have the Lord as the bedrock of our life when evil is swirling around us and coming right at you? Let's go to the text. Um, let's do the verses one through three here. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what's happening here? Here you have it that David's friends, this counsel that is coming is coming from his friends, not from his enemies. These are the counsel of his friends. And it seems good, but it'll actually, if he acts on this, it will actually be to his own detriment. And they're call, they care for him. And they're calling for him, just pull back, just pull back, let up a little bit, pull back calling him to retreat from the hardships of life. And they're, again, their advice, it makes sense. But how do you find resolve to remain steadfast when it, makes no, when it makes sense to retreat? When you wouldn't lose face, everyone would understand. Oh, he's got a job, he's got to provide for his family. I mean, it makes sense. Can't blame the guy. You gave it your best shot. That's good. That's good enough. When the waves of evil are sweeping over you and coming at you and sweeping everyone else away, how do you remain firm and steadfast? First part of here, verse 1. In the Lord I take my refuge. It's not a question. This is like, this is his, his main axiom. This is his main thesis that he's working on here. It's not a question. It's not a doubt. It's saying, no, the Lord is my, my refuge. I will turn no other place. This is where David is starting. This is where must, we must begin. Nothing else. And nothing else can work. Nothing else can withstand except the Lord. So we have these two temptations to flee. And you'll kind of see later in the text, they're almost the same. But one, uh, you have a temptation to flee. Flee like a bird to the mountain. Or to actually turn within. And you actually believe, I am the rock of strength. I can do this. But we crumble and we fall and we fail when we try to do it in and of ourselves. 
Will we crumble and fail if we build it on our own strength? Or will we flee to the mountain at the, the first little bit of pressure? Are you going to bow out? No, David says, he starts with his axiom and his thesis here. The Lord, in the Lord, I take my refuge. So what does it mean, really? We, that was so there other, verse, other psalms as well. What does it actually mean? And number one, I would say it's your first instinct. When all else is... We, we might think that it's when all else is lost, okay, then I'm going to turn to the Lord. No, if the Lord is truly your, your refuge, it's your first instinct right away. Like the shortstop, Justin playing shortstop. He's got the ball coming at him hot. He's acting before he even knows what he's thinking. It's your, it's your first instinct. Something happens, you go to the Lord. That's what it means. Number two, I would say... It's the place of true safety to find refuge in the Lord. Is the place of true safety. What else can is able to withstand the wickedness of this world? As a storm is passing over, and there's only one place to turn, and that's the Lord. My grandfather, when he uh, was, got out of World War II, was uh, actually stationed in Texas at the end of war, and uh, got out of the service, bought a Harley-Davidson, drove back north, and started farming again. I have a couple kids, a couple years later, and my dad is out there cutting hay in the field which would have been to the east of the, of the farmstead. And while they're out there cutting hay, Late afternoon, storms comes as they do out there, just out of the middle of nowhere, and it comes in, and it starts blowing, and they know they don't have enough time to make it back to the farm. So they jump off the tractor, and my grandfather takes my dad and goes under him, over him under the hay wagon, and they can watch as the tornado goes by. And for my dad, his father was a safe place of refuge. It made no sense. You know you can be swept away by the tornado. There's nothing to do, but you just turn to your father and you know he will take care of me. It's the same thing we have in the Lord. So take refuge in, in the Lord is it's our first instinct right away. It's our place of true safety. Then nothing else can withstand it. And then third, I'd say, it's actually the place you want to be. The, those who seek refuge in the Lord, they actually want to be there. It's not like a, a bomb shelter in London as the Nazis are flying over and the whole neighborhood's just crammed in there and you certainly don't want to be there, but it's pretty bad outside. So it's like, oh, I'll take it. Okay. That's not it at all. That's not, it's, it's a garden. That's what it is. It's a beautiful place. And it's a place where you're able to commune with the living God. It's not as though you're going up in the mountain. There's some outcropping from this rocky crag. That's not it. No, it's a beautiful garden. And that is your refuge. How glorious. Isn't that where you want to be? Of course it is. It's home. 
And it's where we dwell and we have peace all around us. It's not our last gasp. It's our home. And it's safe because it's in the Lord. John Owens, perhaps one of our favorite Puritans. So many, though. Sibs, Burroughs, Baxter. See, maybe... I think your, your favorite, our favorite Puritan with perhaps a little political upheaval, uh, inkling, maybe a little bit. He writes in his book, Communion with God, he writes, Christ is also able to, Christ also is a, a shade giving comfort and shelter. He shelters from outward wrath and gives comfort for inner weariness. The first use of the shade is to protect us from the heat of sin, as did Jonah's gourd. When the heat of God's wrath is ready to scorch the soul, Christ shades the soul from its heat. Under the shadow of his wings, we sit down quietly, safely, because we put our trust in him. And all this we do with great delight. Who can describe the joy of a soul safely sheltered from wrath by the covering of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. What a beautiful place to be, to find a refuge in the Lord. So it's a place we dwell. We don't, we don't actually leave it. So you expand the garden by being within the garden and you work from there. So when you're in the Lord and when the Lord is your refuge, you're safe and you're safe all the time, no matter what is happening around you. So yes, you can be surrounded by evil. As David was. But your refuge is in the Lord. So this shelter is only for those who have eyes to see. David's friends didn't see it. It didn't make sense to them. Therefore, the advice that they gave to him, it made sense in a worldly sense. But what they're calling him to do is to leave the garden of the refuge of God, and then go up to this mountain. So he says, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to the mountain? And you know there's the direct access that his friends have. Just right to his soul. They're able to cut in and go. We build up a wall for our enemies, and that can't get through it. But our friends have direct access, like a... Like a port put in. You have medicine, get right to your heart, right away. That's the access that our friends have. One of the commentators writes, The believer is not terrified of enemies, but may be tempted by his friends. They see his danger and give him worldly wisdom rather than heavenly counsel. So this is, not, this is not even unique. You know this in your own life. Sometimes it could be people within your family. Just, just pull back a little bit. Just pull back. You're, you're maybe a little too much, a little too zealous. Just pull back a little bit. It was some of the worst counsel that Job got. It was from his friends. In Job chapter 2. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all of the evil that had come upon him, at this point he's lost everything. The Sibians have taken away, they've burned everything up. The Chaldeans have come, taken the camels, and he tore his robe, and he's lost his sons and everything. 
And now he has sore boils on his face from his foot to the crown of his head. His wife is telling him, curse God and die. But he won't. And then his friends come and go, oh, surely my friends will have some good advice for me. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, the Zophar, the Methanite. And they came. And they made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw his distress, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. A word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. So these are friends who come in and they're in the midst. They're sitting in the ashes with you. And what is the advice they give? And our psalm, they're saying, I flee like a bird to the mountain. Then what about Job? What is the advice they give? Well, after a little bit of silence here, Eliphaz can't help himself. And he opens his mouth and he says, if one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? And he goes on to verse 7 of chapter 4. Remember now, whoever perished for being innocent... Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble are those who harvest it. Say, Job, all of this suffering, it's probably your fault. Right? But it's not just him. Bildad, chapter 8. He goes on, he says, If you are pure and upright, surely now, God, he would rouse himself for you and restore justice or you restore your righteous estate. See, here's the friends who have this, this, they're able to speak right to the soul of Job, some of the friends in your life, able to speak right into your heart and they have the worst advice you could ever come up with. They're calling you to flee. And their motivation behind it is that they actually care for you. But how common it is to find a friend and just tell you to retreat or to flee to the mountain and so rare well they just stay alongside you and walk with you verse 2 for behold the wicked bend the bow they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark and at the upright and heart Here, they're, they're called to flee like a, a bird to the mountain, right? And this is why. Because they're standing, and they have their bow, and they have their arrow, and they're ready to shoot. So flee. Flee like, flee like a bird to the mountain. Don't, you, you don't have to, well, you can trust in the Lord a little bit, fine. But when that doesn't work out, just take care of yourself and flee to the mountain. This, this picture of your own strength, where you'll be able to build your fortress, and everybody else can come and try to attack you, but they know it's not going to work because you're strong and you're on the mountain. Dear friend David, just go there and do that, please. Makes sense. But they're calling you to leave the garden. Don't, don't forget that. They're calling you to leave the garden. They're calling you to leave the Lord as your refuge. And this is why. If the Lord is not the one guarding, guiding, keeping, and protecting you, then this temptation to flee, it makes, it makes sense. Look at the ability of our enemies. 
The bow is bent. The arrow is notched in the string. And all they have to do, all they have to do is release. They have the strength. They're the ones pulling back the bow. They have the prerogative. Who's going to stop them? In every position they have, they are over you. So just flee, David. Flee. And they're even shooting in the dark. To shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. With, with reckless precision, they are shooting at the saints of God. At a time when you least see it coming, they will be shooting at you. As much as the saints are prepared for righteousness, the wicked, just as they're also equally prepared for evil. They're not standing idly by. They will hunt you. Brothers and sisters, they will hunt you. And their trophy is the upright in heart. They will prop up others who are evil, but the upright in heart they will seek to bring low. And it's not personal. They just hate you. And they want to corrupt your soul to bring you to hell with them. It's not really personal, so don't, don't take it that way. They just want you dead. Abel. Our dear brother Abel, his upright heart was the trophy of Cain. Joseph was thrown into prison because of his purity. Stephen was stoned. Peter was persecuted and Christ was crucified all for the sake of their own righteousness. Unless we are ignorant, we must be aware of the times that we live in. There's no better trophy in today's world than a Christian. It's just what God has for us. A generational business sued into oblivion because they won't do certain things or support certain agendas. The parent who's most quick to lose their child is the one who doesn't want them mutilated. The man who, or the woman at work who shares the gospel, they're the one followed around by HR. Like the slightest little infringement. Okay, now we got our case. Off you go. And it's one thing to regard it from David's perspective. When we kind of step back and go, oh, David's here, and he's got the arrow pointed at him, and we kind of just read the psalm in that direction. But what do you do when the arrow is fitted, the bow is bent, and the broadhead is pointed at you? Are you going to flinch? Are you going to turn away? Are you going to flee to the mountains? Or will you hold fast, knowing that the Lord is your refuge? What will you do? And it goes on here in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's more advice from his friends. Don't you see, they say, it's not just you. Evil will destroy the whole foundations. And then when the foundations are destroyed, David, even if you want to do that, what is right, you can't. So just, just go, go, flee to the mountains. Go flee to the mountains. And we'll start over. 
So how do you respond, brothers and sisters? How do you respond when the hopeless narrative of the world actually makes sense? What do you do? How do you respond? And it's rather appealing. But it's neglecting to see that what is the foundation? Well, the foundation is Christ. He is the rock. He is the one who upon it. Watch, everything is built, and that's not going to be crumbled. That's not going to be taken away, no matter what else happens. The foundation will not be lost because it is built upon Christ. Okay. So I'm able to see that the Lord is my refuge. Okay, so he's my first instinct. It's the place of true safety. And it's actually where I want to be. And because of that, I don't need to uh, flee to the mountains. But is this actually true? Is this actually true? Or is this just some psychological trick that Christians use because we're weak? Why, why can we trust in the Lord as a refuge? Let's go to the text here. Start in verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. See, you see that the Lord is in his temple. And when distress comes, our eyes are taken away and we focus on the earthly and the present and we, we lose sight that the Lord is in his heavenly temple. And we think that's where it's too far. As though it's too great for him to overcome. But he's in his temple. He's in his throne. That's where you want him to be. Don't you see how foolish it would be to flee to the mountains when you know the Lord is in his temple and you can be fleeing there to the Lord to be with him. The one who is over all and rules over all and reigns over all. Don't flee to the mountains. It makes sense when you first hear it, but then you go like, well, no, that's, that's foolishness. Why would I neglect my communion with the Lord to stand in my own strength? The world will call you a fool and the world will call you weak. Let them think what they will. We have a Lord in heaven who is graciously watching over all his children. And this is the, the source of David's unflinching courage. Spurgeon on this verse, he writes that David is, is, is bending the light of heaven down to himself. And that is why he's able to stand fast. And his eyes see. And we're, we're tempted to think because he's so great, because he's so distant that he doesn't actually see. But no, not only his eyes see, but then you keep going on. His eyes see and his eyelids test the children of men. And the, this, this, in the Hebrew, it's kind of the sense of your, his heavenly father squinting down as though his eyelids are shadowing out everything else so he can focus on you. 
is the man who's working with metal or gold would, would kind of squint down to see, is this real or is this fake? As I test them, is this faith real or is it fake? Thanks, heads. So our Heavenly Father's in heaven, but he's, he's distant, but he's reigning over all, but he's so intimately close. He sees you. And when the, when the broad point is pointed at you, you think, I'm all alone. But no, no, no. The Lord sees it. Well, what is he going to do? Well, go on here to the end of verse 5 here. But his soul hates the wicked. The, the righteous, he's going to test them. Lord, why am I in this situation? Why is this happening? Well, because you're righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. He loves the righteous. In his face is turned towards the righteous. But he hates the wicked. Psalm 5.5, 5, Psalm 11.5, other places as well. You see that the Lord not just hates sin, as we talked about several weeks ago. The person, he hates them and he will take care of them. Sure, they stand there with a bow and they think you're, you think that they're going to conquer you. Let them have their bow. What's the Lord have? Soul, burning coals, fire. Going to rain down on them. Sulfur. Bow, Seriously? It's like you have a guy with, out there with a spear and then God just napalms the whole field, you know? Like, wow, whatever. I'm not scared. This is why we're able to stand strong in the face of evil. Even when even when those who care for you, those who love you, perhaps it's your wife, is calling you to pull back a little bit. Don't you know we have kids to feed? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? But we are able to stand firm because the Lord is in his temple and he is watching over all of his children. You. He is watching over you, specifically. And not only that, the Lord hates the wicked. Let us rejoice in that. Don't be embarrassed at all. Rejoice in that. The Lord hates the wicked. He will conquer. He will win. He will preserve you. He will hold you. He will keep you to the end. So why would you possibly fear? Why would you flee to the mountains? Why would you flee away from those who have the sword of God hanging over the, their heads? Why? Because they can take your job? Fine, let them have it. They can take your life? Fine, let them have it. Sudden death is sudden glory. Let them have what they will. The Lord is on your side. Verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And the upright shall behold his face. Here's the predicament. It's in this verse. 
The Lord is righteous, good. He loves righteous deeds. I have none. I have none. The Lord hates the wicked. Well, that was me. Apart from Christ. It is the righteousness that the Lord loves, and that is in Christ, and that is Christ. So if you're not found in Christ, then we have no righteousness. And we're not the one that the Lord is protecting. Actually, you're the one that that the Lord will pursue and conquer. We are all wretched sinners saved by the amazing grace of God. And it's only by believing in Him, by believing in Christ, that you shall behold His face. Turn to Christ. So in our closing moments here, what do we do? Okay, so if this is true that the Lord is my refuge, what does my life look like? Number one, be bold, be strong, and be courageous. We talked about it, but we live in a time and a generation when evil is moving quite quickly. There were former generations where they were prepping the bow, getting it soft, getting it ready to bend. Other generations when they were twisting the fibers of the string and other generations when they were sharpening the axe or the sharpening the spear, the, the tip of the arrow. We live in a time when evil is pointed at you. Don't be afraid. Be soberly aware of it, but never afraid. Don't flinch. Be bold, be strong, be courageous. And we are able to do this because the Lord is our refuge. Number one, be bold, be strong, be courageous. Number two, be humble. Be humble. Yes, we can do all this, but we can't do it on our own. We're able to be strong, but... We are weak, and then we turn to Christ. We are bold, but we were actually timid, and then we turn to Christ. We are courageous in the face of the wicked because we know that when we looked in the mirror of our earlier self, we were weak. We were the wicked ones. Be humbly aware that all you, that you have is in Christ. You cannot face the evil on your own. Flee to Christ. Take your refuge in Christ. And that's number three. Hide yourselves in Christ. For those who hide themselves in Christ, there's no other refuge is needed. That's all you need. And here's the thing. There's the bows and the arrows and the sulfur. Yes, the arrows have flown and the fire has rained down. But it's all been extinguished and put out by the blood of Christ. He has taken the wrath of God, His Heavenly Father, for you. If you trust in Him, if He is your refuge, if you have no righteousness in and of yourself, and you are fully aware of that, and you hide yourself in Christ and in Christ alone, turn to Him and trust Him. And in Him, take refuge in the Lord. Let us pray. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in a time that will test the faith, the faith of men and will test the faith of women. Some of us will return to work tomorrow and we will have this inner dialogue of do we pull back, do we pull back, do we just go along, God? Let us be strong in that. When they have fitted the arrow to the string and then when they shoot at us at the upright at heart, God, let us have our refuge in you, God. And let us be a church that will take care of one another, that we might stand in the face of evil that is around us, God, that we might proclaim your glory, your goodness, and your truth. And whatever the result of that, let it be, God. That's in your hands. Our responsibility, God, is to proclaim your goodness and beauty. Let us do it with unwavering truth, knowing that our refuge is in you and in, in you alone. And all God's people said, amen.